Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of Pep Talk. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not get a free copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or Christy Mayer's book, More Truth, by becoming a regular supporter of the podcast. Simply visit our website at solas-cpc.org, that's solas-cpc.org, and donate as little as £3 a month, and we'll send you a book as a thank you. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. My name's Christy, a research fellow at Oak Hill College in North London, and I'm joined by my cordial and delightful co-host, Andy Bannister. Andy, hello. Hi, Christy. Great to see you. Uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and irrepressible as, uh, as ever. How is, <laughs> how is life at your end of the country down there in London? Oh, scorching. Absolutely scorching. It's great. Lots of oak trees and uh, bright, bright, bright sun. So I'm I'm loving life right now. How about you? How's Dundee? Still, what, three degrees? It's pretty good. Just about, just about freezing. Just about freezing. Okay. But it's no, it's no, seriously, it's about 23 degrees. Uh, kind of thing, which is unusual for, for Scotland. Usually our summer lasts about half an hour, but it's been about <laughs> at least about, at least about four hours today. So this is this is great. So who do we have on the show today, uh, Christy? Who is our exciting guest all the way from another part of the UK? Um, I, I, well, drum roll, please, I think. But tell us, who have we got? <laughs> yeah, we are joined today by Gareth Black. Um, Gareth, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You are, now let me just share a little bit about who you are. You are a solar speaker and you're based in Northern Ireland, aren't you? Is that right? That's right. So at time of recording, I have joined, I've been with the team for about six or seven weeks now. Best six or seven weeks of my life, of course, now that <laughs> Andy's a thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah this, I've come under the, the leadership of this guy, Bannister. You know, he's just, he's shaped me in ways that I just can't articulate. It's profound. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to hear that. I would, I would also love to hear I'm more about your word, I'm not Northern Irish, con- Northern Ireland, Northern Irish, Northern Irish context. That's right, isn't it? Yes, I'm based here uh, just outside Belfast, um, but my work with Sumas uh, takes me all over Northern Ireland and and over the border into the Republic of Ireland as well. So. I got a question for a starter, I guess, Gareth, is that obviously Northern Ireland, for especially for uh, perhaps American listeners who are not fully conversant with the geography of the UK, very much part of the of the UK. So is life the same there? Is the culture just sort of the standard, bog standard British culture? Or are there some differences uh, that you're finding as you try and engage in, in evangelism and uh, and spreading the gospel there in Northern Ireland? What, what are the similarities? What are the differences? Well, where I am in Northern Ireland, there, there's a, a lot of similarities. We obviously politically uh, here come under uh, the governance of, of the UK. Um, but as an island, we're, we're divided and have been for, for nearly uh, 100 years or, or so um, politically between the Republic that's sort of independent uh, and then Northern Ireland, which remains part of Britain. And that's a sort of long uh, uh, history that has a long history of kind of um, different political movements and things like that. And of course, it, it influences our perception of our own identity. We're, we're quite divided in terms of how we understand ourselves, even um, whether we call ourselves Irish or Northern Irish, or there's there's a, a, a big city up in the Northwest, which is called Londonderry. But, you know, if you're, if you're of a different political persuasion, you call it Derry. So in terms of our understanding of ourselves, uh, we're, we're quite divided. And obviously that... Um, comes into play when it comes to engaging with people who come from different 
different political persuasions, but I also think different uh, ideological and, and spiritual persuasions as well. Hmm. What do you think that uh, that sectarianism, that, that division, how has that influenced just the landscape of evangelism in which you're working at the moment? Well, I think a, a couple of ways, uh, Christy. Uh, the I was doing some some research recently by social historians, and they sort of talk about um, unionism in terms of those who who sort of consider Northern Ireland very much to be part of Britain. Um, they, they see themselves very much in terms of a narrative of sort of heroic struggle. Um, we sort of there's a there's a common phrase among the unionist community here that's called for God and Ulster, and that kind of captures this conflation of um, some political ideas that come together and are mixed with an idea of uh, spiritual realities and spiritual and theological persuasions. Um, and obviously, so you know, in the sixties and sort of the post-war era when. The, the, the mainland Britain was diversifying and uh, immigration was was uh, growing and all of these different cultural and ideological um, things were, were, were becoming more plural. Northern Ireland was very much locked into a sort of single sectarian tension between what was in reality sort of Irish nationalism and Ulster unionism, but um, it got conflated to sort of Protestantism versus Catholicism. Um, we, we actually tell a joke about uh, an American tourist who walked into the wrong bar during the Troubles um, in Belfast and he was confronted with the sort of you know head honcho who noticed somebody different in his bar and he came up to this American tourist and said, you know, you're, um, you're not from around here. Are, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And the American tourist said to him, uh, well, actually, I'm an, I'm an atheist. And the head honcho looked at him strangely and didn't like this reply and said, well, are you a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist? <laughs> um, so it's, the, it's that kind of idea. Um, and I do think that's, that's affected, you know, our perception of how we view other people. We've, we've been locked in this sort of binary, this, this Protestant, Catholic, unionist, nationalist binary. Um, and it's affected how we engage, whether we engage um, with people who are different from us. And that's been kind of entrenched in terms of our infrastructure. Our schools are divided. Our communities are still divided. Even some of our employment um, areas are still very much along sort of political lines. Um, and I just, I just wonder how that has affected us in terms of now that there, mm. that that level of sort of globalization and ideological pluralism is is beginning to influence emerging generations. How prepared actually are we to engage with people if if um, our normal sort of mode of engaging with them has largely been one of sort of disengagement, suspicion, and caricature? Hmm. Listening to that, Gareth, obviously you're living in a context with that kind of history of sectarianism. But I think, you know, with things like social media and so forth, that kind of sort of tribalism that perhaps lies behind some of that, we see spreading across other parts of the country and the world as well. The people have this very sort of natural tendency now to divide themselves along political lines and sort of engage badly with the other. So I guess that's a more broader question. How to, given that Christians, as you've talked about Northern Ireland, but sometimes Christians more generally can sometimes have a habit of collapsing politics and God into the same box, especially if you love God and love politics. And of course, in so doing, you end up alienating those who, who don't share your politics. How can we avoid doing that? How can we be people who care about politics? Perhaps that really matters to us, but also be people who are passionate about evangelism and don't let the one get in the way of the other. 
Well, I think the first thing, um, and it's a really important question, but I think the first thing to do is is challenge the narratives itself. So obviously, culturally here, um, a lot of the uh, sectarian violence died down in 1998 with the Belfast Agreement. Um, so the violence stopped, but in some ways, this narrative of these two irreconcilable communities sort of living, just sort of tolerating people, that didn't change. If anything, we legislated for it. Um, and, and obviously, um, you know, we, we're, we're sort of living that out now. And, and that's that's still really difficult because it's affecting our perception of ourselves and therefore our perception of other people. But obviously, as Christians, we live by a different narrative. That's not to say that it doesn't have an effect socially or politically. But I think the real challenge is to find um, to find avenues and to find a basis in our Christian story for engaging. And um, I've, I've given, I've spoken a lot about the kind of cultural and political background, but there's also a sort of Christian background um, to, to all this and how, um, I guess, Christians are being raised within the culture, whether they're being encouraged um, in different ways to engage. And, and my story was one where, um, you know, I wasn't encouraged um, to grow my faith or cultivate my faith in the soil of asking questions. So in some ways, I did the same thing as as has happened politically. I disengaged from those who weren't Christians. I had 200 contacts on my phone. Maybe two of them um, were Christians. I was passionate and engaged in my own faith within, you know, the social structures and the echo chambers that reinforced it. But I had very little um very little sort of impetus or very little even interest in really engaging with people who 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 didn't believe and often I just wrote it off in terms of again the caricatures that these people were just sort of you know dirty pagans and and uh you know, it was their own fault in some ways that they they didn't know Christ or didn't want Christ or or had the ethics that they had. You know, it's it's really fascinating to hear that, considering that now you're in full time um, professional ministry and apologetics, and y- your job now is to um, create these kind of cultures that are able to engage uh, with those who don't yet know the Lord. What is it that changed for you in your story, going from "I'm so disengaged right now" to right to present day? This is my bread and butter. What what is it that brought you in and helped you to? to actually start engaging with these big questions? Well, two things, Christy, I think. One was I became a youth pastor and I began to engage in young people who were heavily influenced by um you know, the internet and by globalization. And they'd sort of um, grown up through the church, again, with this sort of scaffolding of, of, of faith. So mom's a Christian, dad's a Christian. And most of my friends are Christian. There's a good Christian emphasis in my school. Um, but again, they were seeing things, listening to things, um, engaging with friends who were beginning to adopt completely different ideologies. Um, and so just the this idea of, well, you know, this is what Christians believe and you're not meant to question it um, because this is what Christians believe. And that just didn't hold water. It just wasn't sufficient for them. It just came across as sort of um, irrational. And, and then when they, you know, had friends and family who were coming from a very different ethical position, it, it didn't just 
come across as irrational. The Christian position came across as immoral. And a lot of the reason why was because we taught these young people uh, what to think rather than how to think. And so they knew, uh, and a lot of us knew about sort of what what conclusions um, and uh, to give sort of on our on our statement of faith and our ethical position, but we didn't really know why. And it was the young people who really challenged me to think I need to be able to go a few steps back and know why I believe um, what I believe, know why Christianity is a better story, and also know how to help them read the narratives and culture and ask questions about it. So it was largely through that. And then the second was just beginning to see that this was the way people came to faith in scripture. I, I loved the Bible. I had begun to engage in Bible teaching and serious in-depth study of the Bible. And as I began to think um, through how people both in the Old Testament and the New Testament came to faith and became convinced that Jesus Christ was Lord, I began to see a real precedent for um, articulating questions and and being open about doubts and, and God being prepared to work through them with us. That's really uh, fascinating, Gareth. And I think what I find interesting is that I think, you know, similar to you coming up through a church, I came up through a church background where questions are not encouraged and uh, came, you know, into that the sense that you can ask questions kind of later uh, in my Christian faith. And now I meet many young people for whom and others for whom this is an issue. So I guess the question I have for you is for um, for listeners who are listening to this and maybe are in a church context where questions are not encouraged and either they're finding that difficult themselves or in terms of evangelism, that's that's tough because the church has a reputation as somewhere where questions are not welcome. How can we start making a difference here? Because we don't want to go in sort of, bla- you know, all barrels uh, blazing, you know, attacking our church leaderships. But how do, how do listeners, perhaps if they're in a church context where questions are not welcome, are there ways that you've seen or have learned that can help slowly begin to change that culture in a more positive way? Yes, I think... Um... Again, two things come to mind immediately. The first is to be open with your own questions. So rather than um, come across with, you know, this agenda for everybody else and look, this is the way, you know, there's a precedent for this in scripture. Therefore, you know, let's create a, a universal mandate for every Christian, hold everybody accountable on the basis of how I see things. Um, I find uh, the, the things that have helped me most is just being around people who, who think this way, who take questions seriously and are prepared to be open and vulnerable um, and and articulate the process and the journeys of their own questions and their own struggles. Um, and this thing can often very much be, be caught rather than um, taught. It just gives so many people a license that actually, um, you know, being a Christian very much is about processing our questions. It's a relationship at the end of the day. And relationships are about asking questions at the right time and then making a commitment on the basis of the answers that you get. And of course, that's a dynamic thing. It's not a static thing. Thing, whether you can sort of sign your statement of faith or not it, all of this is in process and it was for the earliest followers of Jesus and right through church history um, and then the second thing is just try to um, engage as much as possible with non-Christians and realize that that will help to break down caricatures if they are there um, it will also help you identify where, Christ- where people's um, own questions and sticking points are 
Um, and it will just, I, I think it will just keep you on your toes, as it were, in terms of um, being someone who takes it seriously, because you're not just invested in it as an abstract question or an abstract doubt. You're invested in it because it's your friend, because it's your colleague. Um, and that will just, I uh, would hope, and certainly has been the case for me, um, just give an increased degree of impetus and investment in continuing to engage with questions for your own um, faiths strengthening, but also for helping sort of clear those roadblocks for other people towards seeing the beauty and the truth of the Christian story. That's that's so encouraging to to hear you talk about uh, this, Gareth. Particularly the just the role of questions in our own in our own life uh, before the Lord. They are they are utterly they're critical and crucial in many ways. I remember I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were saying that uh, they were just told not to ask questions. That a, a lot of what's coming out of America is through some of these deconversion stories is because people have been um, grown up who that people have grown up and haven't been able to ask these big questions like why suffering um what, do, what about other religions and and then slowly but surely in their late 20s early 30s they think there is no grounding for the christian faith um there's no point yeah. whatsoever how would you yeah how would how would you uh, speak into that because i guess we could go either way can't we we can either go towards it's all about reason or yeah. actually no i'm going to leave that at the door well, I, I resonate with with those stories a lot because it, it was my own story in in many ways. I can, you know, I became a Christian in my mid teens. Um, I was passionate about my faith, absolutely convinced from um, uh, an experiential and kind of subjective point of view that this was real. But I can remember being in the sixth form center in school and being confronted by a friend who wasn't a Christian about these types of questions. And, uh, you know, to questions about the compilation of the canon and New Testament manuscripts. And the thing for me was I hadn't even heard those questions before, let alone thought through how to answer them. I had never in my Christian life um, realized that there even were questions like this. Um, and uh, at that stage, um, I just rather than sort of explore them and really engage with them, I retreated uh, from them back into the sort of um, ghetto of my Christian echo chamber and just didn't think about them and just assumed that this was just somebody trying to, you know, who was a bit disingenuous trying to have a go. Um, obviously, I've radically changed that opinion um, and regret that that was my uh, in initial approach. Um, and I, I just think we really need to take people's questions seriously. And, and in some ways, um, you know, not sort of just defend ourselves by sort of writing them off or creating a context or a motive behind them. That's less than what we are. I think we need to receive people's questions as genuine until it becomes obvious that they're not. Um, and, you know, I haven't, I, obviously we, we, I left school, um, you know, a few months later after that encounter and never really got in contact with this guy. I just wonder, you know, whether things might have been different had I um, taken these questions seriously earlier. Um, but, you know, that's that's a sort of, um, you, you know, an account from my personal experience. There's so much basis for this within scripture itself. Um, and, I, I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I certainly do now. And I love showing people from scripture um, this is actually the way this thing is meant to work. That's some really helpful stuff there, uh, Gareth. We're almost out of time, so I'm going to be very dangerous because I'm about to ask a question that could open up a whole other 
kind of rabbit trail, but I'd just love a kind of brief thought from you on this. Often one of the things I hear when I talk to Christians about, you know, using questions, listening to good questions, uh, you know, taking questions seriously, a lot of people love it and find it helpful. Somebody will always say, but, you know, my friends don't have any questions. You know, my friends aren't asking questions about the faith for me to engage with. My friends are apathetic. They're agnostic. Um, have you got any sort of thoughts in your own experience uh, to sort of share with how you could perhaps generate questions, whether or none coming at you straight away? Are there ways we can get those conversations going when uh, when you're dealing with someone who's perhaps more at the apathetic end of things? Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing when I hear a question like that, the thing that always springs to my mind is is the one Peter three fifteen verse, you know, and uh, you know, you guys all know this. Always be ready um, to give a reason for the hope that you have uh, in Christ, and do it with gentleness and respect. But obviously, um, just before that, Peter says, you know, set apart Christ as Lord um, in in your hearts. And I think there's, you know, if if my friends aren't asking me questions. Um, for me, it's a question of, well, how public is my faith? How distinctive is my faith? Is, I, you know, is, is Jesus Lord of my life enough in a public way for my friends to see it and find it maybe peculiar or curious um, enough to, you know, to ask questions? So that's, you know, that's the challenge to me as an individual um, and just how public I'm actually being with my faith in order to generate questions but the other thing is how invested am i in 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 my friends lives in order to um find the things that they do care about so you know they may have a particular perception of christianity that genuinely in their perception of that particular time has no relevance to them and no meaning for them whatsoever but there are things that are Mm -hmm. meaningful and i think that um really good you know for being really good evangelists and jesus does this so perfectly you know in 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 the gospel he's able to pick up on things that are meaningful for people that people do care about whether it's the ethical questions whether it's questions of race or culture or politics um or you know ambition or things like that and i think we need to um we we need to be be good sort of missionaries in that sort of old sort of cross-cultural sense and actually be prepared to engage in the stuff um that people are interested in yes for the purposes of hopefully um finding ways to connect it to the gospel but also just being really good friends um and not sort of treating people as projects but just being invested in people for who they are and what they are as image bearers of god and trust the lord prayer is a massive part of it trust the lord that somewhere along um that journey um the that there will um there will be an opportunity for uh, asking a question or engaging with something or something happening in one of your friend's life that really does open up the door to um, a journey towards God. Gareth, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking with you this afternoon. Such great wisdom there for us. Um, Gareth, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, That is it from myself and uh, the venerable Andy Bannister for this week. But we look forward to joining you in a couple of weeks' time with our next guest. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Goodbye.